News, weather, traffic, money, politics, big interviews, and bold opinions. It's what's happening right now. This is Mornings with Simi. A lot of news over the weekend about billionaire Richard Branson getting so close to outer space. His vision is to turn going to space into a money-making tourist venture. So how much would you pay? Would you be willing to save up and part with a couple of hundred thousand dollars for a seat on a flight to space? Well, a Winnipeg woman has already said, yes, sign me up for that. Judy Anderson is a retired University of Manitoba professor and has been saving for more than 10 years. And she joins us now. Good morning, Judy. Good morning, Simi. (laughs) Now, when did you first hear about this? Uh, I think it was in 2010, maybe late in the fall sometime. Uh, It seemed very exciting and thought about it back and forth to the computer, looking on the internet, thinking, wow, wow, (laughs) wouldn't that be cool? (laughs) And And my husband said, quit looking at it and just make a decision. (laughs) Wait a minute, your husband said, go for it? Yeah. Wow. So then you (laughs) thought, listen, if I'm being told to go for it, I'm going for it. Well, kind of, but not being told is, you know, I wanted to, I, you just sort of, I was reluctant to put that much money into the mix too. <laughs> so yeah, what kind of commitment did that entail? Did you have to save up money for this and writing well, that check? We, yeah, we're still, we still have an account. We put money in it when something comes up, we stash it away <laughs> and it's getting there pretty close. Uh, but it, it did take some effort to think about in the long run. So over the last 10 years, as you've been doing that, stashing the money, did you ever have a, a couple, a moment, maybe one or two, where you thought, what am I doing this for? We should just spend I, this money on something else. Yeah, kind of, but not now that it looks like it's real, that is unlikely to happen, uh, you know, because at the time, 2010, it was like a pretty big chance that it would even happen. Um, but as things went on and they worked out, major bugs and minor bugs that it seemed like it really was going to happen. So that kind of feeling is less and less. So have you bought the ticket or are you in line to buy the ticket? How does this work? Yeah. So what I did was I put a down payment on a ticket and then they say that, uh, you know, you follow through with all the other things they would like information on. And three or so months before the launch date um, that they project, for you, then they ask you for the money. <laughs> okay, so, so you've got you some know, time, yeah. Yeah, checked with the bank manager, checked with the <laughs> loan guy. <laughs> so what kind of things do they need to know from you, Judy? Like what, what kind of, what, is it about your health or, or your fitness? Yeah. Like what do they know? Yeah, there was a, a health questionnaire and then a physical and, uh, you know, they want to know general things about you, but mostly um, I think they would like you to stay fit, you know, or be more fit than not. Um, There wasn't really a restriction on that that I recall, but uh, there was encouragement that you be looking after yourself. And they encouraged you to get training on the centrifuge so you could experience G-forces that most of us really don't unless we're driving NASCARs or, or jets fighter jets. Um, That's true. So I went, do- yeah, well, I don't do that every day. So I did go to Pittsburgh to experience up to 3G in a simulation of the flight projected by Virgin at that time. And that was pretty exciting. That was like 
I don't know if you ever used to go on the P&E roller coaster. Yes. When you, well, I did when I was a kid, and it was scary, right? Well, this was way better. <laughs> awesome. So, so when you got off this 3G, the centrifuge, did you go, yeah, I'm in. Like, I'm doing oh, this. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Hyped up to the sky. It was fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> so, Judy, tell me then, how long has this been a dream for you? Like, have you always wanted to go to space? Yeah, I think pretty much since I remember um, when Gagarin went up, uh, we lived in North Vancouver and we had a little telescope. We looked through at the planets and, you know, tried to see something. I don't remember what except the planets. And and then when the moon launches were being prepped and, and finally made, that was so exciting. We were glued to the television and the, any possible hour of the day or night we stuck to the TV and watched everything. And it was always so neat to think, wow, wouldn't it be great to even just be on the rocket, let alone step on the moon or something. But, you know, that that and my career didn't kind of mesh um, too well. I probably was too much of a nerd, but, <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I've always wanted to do it. Um, even during my research, I started to do things that were relevant to uh, microgravity and uh, body function uh, in microgravity with muscle. And that really fascinated me. I said at the time, I'd, I'd do an experiment on myself if I could go up. You know? Wow. <laughs> that, that's a commitment. So what is yeah. your, like, what is your, what kind of fitness routine do you have to keep doing in order to be fit to go into space? Uh, they don't tell you what, um, but I, you know, walk and get out and about and I have a fitness routine, uh, lagged a little bit during the pandemic, so I know I have to get back to it, but I'm, I'm in pretty good shape for an old lady. <laughs> <laughs> now, Judy, I have to ask you too, like friends, family, do they, do they believe you when you said you were going to do this and have, do they believe you uh, now? Yeah, they believe me now. Um, some of them are still kind of shocked, uh, but it's, uh, it's very exciting. I'm really tickled that former students from the lab and all kinds of people that we knew on other other way in other ways that we haven't had touch with for a few years now have gotten back to me with the publicity or with the launch from Virgin and and said oh I was thinking about you and wondered if you were as excited as I was you know that kind of stuff that's been fun and what number do you know what number you are in line yes i'm 623 so they do six at a time, and hopefully they'll uh, speed up the progress of the number of flights per month. I don't have a clue what they're planning, really. But Wow. It just it, it must be amazing to know that you are this Like, this past it, weekend was a huge leap forward for you. A huge leap forward, yes. It really, it really made it tangible instead of theoretical, more or less. Uh, they did ship me... Um, for a short time, a pair of virtual reality goggles so that I could walk around the cabin and look at the seats and look at, look out the window and look down at the earth in virtual reality. So we did that in my living room in January sometime. <laughs> and that kind of started to feel more real, like it was a three-dimensional thing. Um, but this weekend was fantastic. We had the TV on all kinds of channels and then the <laughs> news feeds on the internet, on the iPad and the computer. And 
and we had sort of multiple screens going, and we were chattering away about it. It was really exciting. Well, Judy, I admire you so much, right? Because you're, you're doing this. Like, a lot of people talk about their dreams, but you are doing this, and you are committed yeah. to it. So, listen, I can't wait to have you go up there, and I can say, listen, I talked to her, and now she's going to space. <laughs> yeah, you have to do what you really want to do. You have to at least try, I think. And, um, you know, there's risks in every part of life, Um and you you don't take stupid risks. I don't. I wouldn't have wanted to be in the first five people going up. Right. Just for you know, I'm a little cautious. I don't jump off mountains. I don't do. I don't do what I consider crazy. But yeah, I've done some scuba diving and I've um, ridden roller coasters. <laughs> and now you're going to space eventually. Now I'm going to space. Yay! Amazing, <laughs> Judy. Thank you so much for joining us. And listen, best of luck. I hope you move up that list really quickly. Oh, thanks, Simi. Take care. That's Judy Anderson, retired University of Manitoba professor. She is number 623 on the list to get on that Virgin Galactic spaceship and go to space as one of the regular folk who plunked down the $200,000 for the ticket. Would you do that? If you had a dream to go into space, if you've always thought about, yeah, that'd be kind of cool, would you make the commitment that Judy made and spend a couple of hundred thousand dollars for that ticket? This is Mornings with Simi. Well, you may have been hearing some of the ads playing, right? The Safe Surrey Coalition is promoting the deal to get Surrey SkyTrain done, a deal that was finalized last Friday when Prime Minister Trudeau announced the $1.3 billion funding for the extension out to Langley. Now, the municipal party of Mayor Doug McCallum is hailing it as a, quote, promise made, promise kept. But is there more to it? Well, Surrey City Councillor Jack Hundell joins us now to talk more about it. Good morning. Thank you for being here. Good morning, Simi. Thank you very much. Now, what do you think about those promise made, promise kept ads? Well, it's certainly... uh, (laughs) You know, another ad in a long string of ads where we've seen here in Surrey, uh, where Doug McCallum is polling uh, low, trying to build up his uh, negatives uh, with an election for next year, of course. Um, you know, uh, this is the same organization that took credit for Fraser Health's work in the vaccinations here in Surrey or for the new hospital that was announced uh, by the provincial government. And this is uh, just another series in, in those attack ads. I think, or those ads to sort of promote themselves. And really, I mean, you know, when it's convenient to say that, you know, the vote was unanimous, um, as it was in this case by everyone in council, to work on bringing SkyTrain uh, through Surrey, um, as opposed to other occasions where it's, uh, uh, you know, it's it's conveniently forgotten that uh, it it took more than just four or five people to get this done. This took an entire uh, division in the city. It took multiple levels of government over the course of many years. Uh, took strong advocating, I think, pretty much from every elected official here in the city of Surrey to get it to this point. Right, but is Surrey City Council comfortable with the budget at this point, too? Because it's one thing to say it's getting done, but it's getting done at a much higher price than was anticipated. Absolutely. And and let's not forget, SkyTrain was always part of the long-term plan between um, LRT and and SkyTrain here in Surrey. It's part of the long-term transportation plan was to get it done. The the budget itself, like, uh, you know, uh, I, I posted shortly after the announcement that I would love to see the final details on the budgeting and also where that terminus station is actually going to be. Uh, because, you know, as we know, every month that we delay in building this, uh, the costs do go up. So we don't really know what the final cost and the future costs are yet going to be. 
wait a minute, but you're on Surrey City Council. How can you not know about these costs and this budgeting? Well, we, we know what uh, the TransLink has provided for us so far, which is those, uh, you know, um, uh, four stops and seven kilometres going to approximately about 166. Um, so we know about that part of the extension of the line. But what's going on the other end, we don't know yet. Because as uh, someone said a little bit earlier, you know, you're building this over um, some really soft uh, farmland um, down Fraser Highway 176. So how's that going to, is that going to be a bridge there? Uh, you know, how elevated is that going to be? So there's there's going to be some unknowns coming up here. And to say that, you know, this is a final budget of what we need to get there. You know, he made that mistake last time during the election campaign saying, look, I can just take the money from LRT and put it towards SkyTrain. When everyone knew, uh, even those that ran with him saying, like, you can't be saying that because it's not really being truthful because we know it's not going to, we need more money than that to take it to 203 into uh, the city of Langley. Right. You were one of the the councillors, the candidates who ran with him last time. So was that a conversation happening behind the scenes that you just touched on there when Mayor McCallum at the time was saying, oh, we, it's the same amount of money, same amount of money to take SkyTrain yep. out to Langley. W- did you tell him, listen, we can't say that. It's not true. Yeah, absolutely. And in fact, when uh, I announced uh, to to run for council, it was way before McCallum did, and I came out and strongly in support of having, uh, having SkyTrain through Surrey. And on more than one occasion, I said they can't do it. And, and certainly I'm not going to stand beside you when you're promoting this um, at the rallies. And, and I never did. So, um, yeah, so he, he's, he's made aware of it. Right. But here we are more than a year before the next municipal election. And already you've got these ads running. What does that tell you about the kind of campaign you can anticipate? Well, I think it's um, I think there's a lot of work for McCallum to do to build up trust with the public. Um, and that's why you're seeing this stuff. Now, this is from the same sites that went out and they uh, said, you know, called RCMP officers murderers. So I think the public really um, uh, is alive to it. Uh, certainly, I know the, the listeners on 980 um, and, and the majority of the taxpayers here in Surrey are alive to the fact of what's going on with us, that uh, um, the election, uh, you know, could be a challenge, but uh, you're also dealing with someone who's very, very unpopular as a mayor right now. Right, but is that why this kind of SkyTrain issue has has suddenly you know been headlines because this is something that they're going to talk a lot about? Because in the end, SkyTrain is going to go to Langley. That is the plan, and that was not the case, you know, three or four years ago. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah, absolutely. I, I agree with you. I mean, the um, conversation around SkyTrain is going to be now in the last election. That was the number one issue, uh, which people support us on was SkyTrain. It wasn't on the smart development and further down the list was this uh, police transition. So I think SkyTrain and certainly transportation is going to be a key issue for anyone living south of the Fraser and that interconnectedness. How's that going to happen? What's the cost? What's the timeline? And like you said, the announcement that was made um, with with the SkyTrain announcement is just the first step here. We don't know what the final cost is yet going to be and we certainly don't know where the terminus is going to be for that to support all that ridership. So what would you say to Surrey residents then when they see the headline and they think, oh, good, SkyTrain's coming to Langley? But what would you warn them about? I would say, first of all, it's a win for everyone south of the Fraser. And that's the most key thing here. Uh, put the politics aside, Surrey, uh, along with Langley, um, Township of Langley, uh, we do need uh, strong, robust, interconnected transportation with the rest of Metro Vancouver. So I'd say, first of all, I think it's a win for every uh, single person on this south of the Fraser. Uh, after that, I'd say, I think the voters are, are actually really, really smart. 
um, they're not going to fall for these ads. Uh, and certainly, you know, over a year from, from an election still, what concerns me a little bit is uh, elections BC, because I know there's only so much funding you can put into political advertising. So I'm not sure if some elections BC is listening to this this morning, but it'd be very interesting to see if these ads are all paid with, you know, $1,200 donations, uh, which is which is another part. Mm-hmm. But. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. No kidding. I was going to say, sorry, politics, right? Never boring. Uh, thank you so much for your time this morning. Okay. Thank you very much, Simi. Have a good day. Appreciate that. That is Councillor Jack Hundell, Surrey City Councillor. Uh, talking about the politics around the Surrey Skytrain decision, we were talking about it with Vaughn Palmer earlier. And let me be clear, we absolutely requested, you know, a chance to interview Mayor Doug McCallum about this. Specifically, you know, because they're going around saying promise made, promise kept on this, but if Surrey, you were promised, Surrey residents, that they could do this all the way, SkyTrain out to Langley, for it to cost the same amount of money as the light rail project, right? It is not. It's costing almost three times that, billions of dollars more. So as Jack Hundell points out, people are happy about SkyTrain coming. Are you happy about the cost then? This is clearly going to be a contentious issue. So we did request a chance to talk to Mayor McCallum. They turned us down on that. We will keep trying. But let's hear from some Surrey residents on this too. How do you feel about this issue? Are you ha- yes, happy SkyTrain is coming. Do you have some reservations? How do you feel about this? Is Mayor McCallum... If you, it, you know, Jack Hundell says that he's very unpopular in Surrey. Do you get a sense of that? Let's hear from some residents on that. This is Mornings with Simi. Well, this current heat wave that we're having and that extreme heat dome we had recently has brought forth a lot of things that we haven't really seen or experienced before. And for BC Hydro, it means that some of their equipment has also been impacted, like a submarine cable that delivers power to Vancouver Island. How could the heat impact that? Well, let's find out more from Kevin Aquino, who's a spokesperson for BC Hydro, who joins us now. Good morning, Kevin. Good morning, Simi. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for being here. I'm so curious about this when I was reading about it because I thought, is this one of those areas where, you know, BC Hydro thought, well, we didn't expect this to happen? Yeah. So um, late last week, a monitor on our system identified a bulge in an oil leak from one of our uh, submarine cables that provides power to Vancouver Island. I would like to note that the oil leak was above ground and not underwater. Um, the oil leak was contained and we immediately took the cable out of service. Um, we later discovered bulging on two other cables that made the de- and made the decision to reduce load on them while an investigation and repairs take place. Um, I would like to note that fortunately, no customers are impacted and we're using our generation facilities on Vancouver Island and have access to various IPPs to meet customer demand at the moment. Right. I guess I'm more curious, though, about like, how did this happen? Was this like a heat dome situation? Yeah, so I would like to note that we do regularly monitor our infrastructure and all our um, submarine cables were last inspected in mid-June with no deficiencies found. Our investigation is ongoing, but we do believe that the damage could have been a result of the extreme heat in late June. Wow, is that something that you can even plan for? Like, was that even in the realm of possibility? Yeah, so um, I would, um, there, there, right now, um, um, as a result of the extreme heat, I, with all our infrastructure, there's currently no suspected or confirmed impacts from the heat wave. We've had some relatively minor impacts to our transformers during the most heat, recent heat wave, but nothing significant, nothing like an oil leak like this. Yeah, how unusual. How old was this cable? Uh, so I don't have the exact age of the cable itself, um, but I would like to note that the portion of the cable that was 
um, that had the oil leak was exposed to the elements, so the heat in particular. Um, so the leak was above ground and not underwater. Right. Okay. So can you give me an idea, Kevin, of just like overall the heat dome, this heat wave that we're having right now, what kind of an impact has that had on BC Hydro and usage? Yeah, so in terms of demand and usage um, from the heat dome and the extreme heat in late June, we did break a few records um, in terms of electricity demand. We reached up to 800 megawatts for the day, and that was for the weekend between the 26th up until the 30th. I would like to note that we are a winter peaking utility, so we see the highest demand in the winter months and not the summer months. Right, but this is really quite unprecedented, isn't it? Yeah, the extreme heat was unprecedented, and this oil leak is something that uh, we haven't seen before on these cables. Okay, so if that's the case, then what? Like, what is BC Hydro doing now to check other cables? Is this is this mean that you're now doing a check of everything? Yeah. So um, as a result of this um, um, this incident, um, I would like to note that the safety and reliability of our system is our top priority. Immediately after the oil detection, we notified various agencies, including Emergency Management BC and the Department of Fisheries and Oceans. Um, we are conducting daily inspections and have found no further damage. As a preventative measure, we may look into blocking drain holes. And I would like to note that contingency measures are being implemented as part of our commitment to delivering safe and reliable power to British Columbians. And there are additional contingency plans in place in the event BC Hydro needs to further reduce electricity demand on Vancouver Island. Okay, so for now, though, Vancouver Island residents can be rest assured nothing is going to change for them. Yeah, so right now we are using our generation facilities on Vancouver Island and we have access to various independent power producers to meet customer demand. However, we have been working with our largest industrial customers to to discuss a challenge we're facing in the event they need to reduce load in the future. Okay, so more to come on that. Kevin, thank you for your time. Thank you. Kevin Aquino is BC Hydro's spokesperson talking about this unusual situation that BC Hydro has had where they think that the heat dome, like that intense heat that we had, actually damaged some of the cables carrying power to Vancouver Island. So they are now assessing. Residents won't be impacted, but they are taking a look at what might need to be done. So there might be some industrial power customers that might have to help them out a little bit. We'll keep you posted on that. But, you know, it just shows you that that intense heat did things like we're just not prepared for here because it was just out of the realm. It seemed like a possibility. And now we know that is not the case, right? This is Mornings with Simi. Well, the real estate market continues to be busy, as we have seen throughout the pandemic. But the BC Real Estate Association does think that things are starting to, quote, normalize, whatever that means in BC real estate. But one area that had really seen a downturn in the last few years was the pre-sale condo market in downtown Vancouver. But that also seems to be changing. So what's going on? John Stovall joins us now, president of Reliance Properties. Good morning, John. Good morning, Finney. What's going on with the pre-sale condo market in downtown? Yeah, I mean, I think the in short, it's it's back and it's back in force. Uh, yes, this market um, suffered a little bit. I think it had kind of market fatigue at the end of uh, 2017, and there was new measures brought in on taxation and property transfer tax and so on, which which kind of cooled that market. But pent up demand is obviously present, and uh, you know we've had a very successful launch of of a project uh, to Bard Place, which is our our next tower at the Bard Place. Right, that was um, yeah. that was the the first pre-sale in a few years, right? Yeah, there really hadn't been a successful one. There was a couple that happened in uh, tried to happen in uh, late 2018, 2019, and they basically had to send their deposits back. But uh, we launched, and I think you know it's, it's sort of a very appealing price point with the pent-up demand um, 
clearly people are, are back because we sold uh, 100 units in two days and we've gone on considerably from there. Right. What is that? So people still have that. I, I keep thinking about how during the pandemic we heard, oh, everything's going to change about where people want to live, what they want to do. But you're saying it sounds like downtown is still an attractive place for people. Yeah, I think this is what's interesting about it. I mean, we, you know, it's kind of flight flight to the, you know, suburban and exurban property has clearly reversed. And, and, and you know, it's not, a, it's not a fluke that, you know, globally, the majority of the populations of the planet live in cities and cities are, are going to be back and, you know, we're always going to be back. And I think this is the telltale sign that the early bird gets the worm and people are betting, not just in residential, but, you know, a lot of institutional capital is betting on the downtown again, coming and investing in office properties and can clearly see, um, you know, the uh, early signs of a very strong endorsement of downtowns coming back after the pandemic. Is that going to prompt, do you think, a rush then of some more projects in downtown? There are a number of projects that have been kind of waiting in the wings for a number of years. They're approved. They're ready to go. Some of them have very high land costs and, and you know, city fees that they had to pay and on-site social housing and stuff. They're gonna, they might have more of a challenge to find, you know, an intersection between demand and, and their price needs right now. But uh, we were able to bring, bring on at a price that I think was a new price for the downtown compared to where things peaked. And certainly think at those kind of price points, there's going to be a lot of demand still. Interesting stuff. All right, John, thanks so much for your time. Thank you. John Stubble is the president of Reliance Properties talking about the pre-sale condo market in downtown Vancouver. It's so interesting because that area had really suffered in terms of sales. There have been no pre-sales of condo projects in downtown Vancouver that went on the market in the last three years. One just did, and it was crazy busy. As you heard him say, 100 units sold in two days. Uh, So they think, developers do, that that is returning to form and that is being very, very busy. Think about all the towers that got built, you know, in downtown Vancouver over the last 10 years. So I guess things didn't change as much during the pandemic as we thought it was going to. If that appetite is still there to kind of live and even work in downtown Vancouver. Overall, for the real estate market, things are still busier than year over year. I know last year seemed busier than we thought it was going to be. Uh, But things are starting to, according to the BC Real Estate Association, normalize. But, you know, we don't really know what normal looks like here in BC. So we'll have to wait and see. What's happening in your neighborhood when it comes to real estate? What's selling? What's not? What have you noticed? You can email me, as always, simi at cknw.com. Hey, some entertainment news for you this morning. I mean, we've all watched a lot of TV, I would say, a lot of shows over the past year. And there have been some standouts. And maybe your standout, your favorite show, 